0: Welcome to Troubleshooting Innovation, a commercial baking podcast, sponsored by Reading Bakery Systems, RBS, the world's leading manufacturer of automated systems for baked snack production, continuous mixing and oven profiling. I'm your host, Joni Spencer, editor in chief for the Commercial Baking Media Group. And I'm speaking with industry expert, Dave Vanlar, as we unpack all the pain points that come with innovation and product development, and discover new ways to overcome them. In this episode, we will be discussing how to scale up from the lab to the line, and we'll talk about some tips on achieving a smooth handoff from R&D to operations. Hi, Dave.
1: Good morning, Joni. That's hard to believe it's been a week already.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> So in the last episode, we touched a little bit on how R&D, marketing, and operations all need to sort of play nice together in the sandbox in order to streamline the innovation from concept to store shelves. So today, let's talk about some of those first steps in achieving that smooth handoff.
1: Sounds good. Where do you want to go with it? (laughs)
0: All right, so let's talk about speed to market first because consumer demand has really changed the speed to market concept. It's it's really shortened exponentially in the past few years and especially in the past 12 months. So how is that changing the way a product moves through the development process and in getting to operations?
1: Well, let's think about just uh, overall traditional sales marketing companies for cookies we developed the product we went in and sold it to a chain we waited until we could get the shelf space we put it on the trucks the trucks delivered it and we tried to get pulled through advertising and push it through the stores and that whole process if we were fortunate you know took months to do today um, you and I can make a brownie and uh, have it in someone's house tomorrow so there's no question that disruptive disruptive is, is is the key for what's happening. We can also use that, obviously, as branded companies because the, the iconic brands are also what continue to drive the business.
0: Is it changing what branded companies are looking for when they are looking for a co-manufacturer or how they're changing their internal operations?
1: I believe so they're looking for much quicker response than we've been able to even do in the past. Um, we know consumer trends uh more quickly now. we know what the consumers are buying almost immediately, and they're they're telling us with their dollars what they really want before that whole game we went through was a guessing game. We tried to stay ahead of the consumer we tried to stay ahead of the trends we tried to uh help produce those trends, uh, make products that fit. I, I go back to fat-free, for instance. You know, the the clamor was there for fat-free 25 years ago when we were going all through all the fats and oils issues. So we all got into the fat-free free business. Well, the trouble is it, did, it didn't taste good and nobody bought it. Right. So we <laughs> moved on. You know, I we'll get a quicker reaction to those things now. It does allow for a lot easier entry for new products. There's no question about that.
0: Do you think that this impacts the need or opportunity or even interest for branded companies to do more self-manufacturing?
1: I still believe that major companies are going to produce their own icon brands and be as efficient as they possibly can. you know, Orioles will always sell. Orioles will always be out there. And they'll be made on huge lines with very few people. And then the Mondelez will continue to make that efficient. Um, when it comes down to a brand that's doing a less than a million dollars a year, uh, it is the realm of the contract manufacturer to get that to market, I firmly believe.
0: So let's go back to what you said about... Um, this continuing need for new product and innovation to streamline the the whole process and to really get it going quickly and smoothly in operations. Who needs to be at the table in those initial discussions? Traditionally, it's gone from marketing to R and D to operations. Have you seen any scenarios where operations is getting involved in the conversation sooner, or is R and D driving? the innovation more than they used to?
1: When I'm involved, I'm in the process at the beginning. And I believe that needs to happen everywhere. When you're looking at product uh, innovation, product ideation, certainly that's marketing, sales, R&D. If they're marketing research departments, they're still involved. So they're trying to pick up the trends with senior management. So that group is getting together and coming up with different types of products. Um, I was always fortunate with the major branded companies to be a part of that process also, so I could see what they were thinking about to help guide them a little bit towards something we could do. Um, So that's going to happen in that realm, no matter what. But when we go to the plant, when we go to market, everybody needs to be involved, and I believe this team needs to be assembled as soon as possible, as soon as there's a decision to made to move, uh, to get to market, and that's quality control. You know, we need to uh, establish shelf life. We have to establish quality parameters. Engineering needs to get involved will our equipment do this? Do we need to, uh, does it even exist today? That's happened pretty regularly too. The product product was designed and there was no equipment available to make it. Um, what's the CapEx going to be? Who's our vendor going to be? Um, and we, all that's engineering needs to be involved because when you look at their lead times, you know, they're looking at uh, 12 to 18 months uh, on equipment if it's out of the box. Um, Operations certainly needs to think about commercialization in the plant. Uh, They need to assist, to me, assist engineering with the design. You know, where does it fit in my plant? How many people will it take to run? What kind of training do I need for this type of equipment? And what's the expectation of the product and the equipment? We're going to bring new technology into a plant. As a plant manager, I need to be ready to train people to do that. purchasing is often forgotten in this whole process also but r d loves exotic ingredients and i've talked about that pretty regularly you know the madagascar vanilla that's available every other year um, <laughs> so it's a great product but you know can we commercialize this so purchasing needs to think about where they source it and also start to get pricing on it um, one piece that in the big companies I found was sometimes neglected was the finance piece. After the project was all put together, uh, the uh, numbers were all crunched. Then they went to finance, went to the CFO and said, here's what we need to spend. After being burned a couple of times, I learned that if I go to the CFO right away and say, this is kind of what they're looking at doing. um, He did not get blindsided in a meeting with with the corporate staff on, you know, here's a project for $20 million, please sign it. (laughs) Um, We were were also able to get pre-spending. A lot of these require, you know, larger companies. We write a project, but then we need to spend before the project is approved. So that pre-spending can be approved um, uh, by contact with the finance people. Nobody likes to be surprised. and And I think everybody wants to be a part of that team. You know, they want to help it be successful, but they're not always given the opportunity. Packaging engineering, Um, you know, how's it going to go on the store shelf? Does it sit this way? Does it sit that way? Uh, Is there modified atmosphere packaging required? What type of barriers do we need? Um, What modifications do we need to equipment? Is this a gable top? Is it resealable? Um, You know, is it to show the product or to hide the product? Um, And all the while we have sales itching for that new product. I mean, they love... New products, they love to take new products to their buyers and show them how innovative we are, but then they need to get it into the stores and then they also have to worry if I put this new product uh, in the market, will my salespeople lose focus on some of the other uh, primary drivers? So you know we don't want them to lose focus on the on the real uh, staples just because a new product is out there. Um, And and lastly, with this whole thing is logistics. Are there special handling characteristics? I was involved with a project that had pure chocolate and cookies. Well, you know, sounds like a great idea. Uh, And even Pepperidge Farm had a summer type of product and a winter type of product. Um, when you think about it, that's great in the northeast but what about florida what about arizona what about california so you have to consider the distribution cycle we've also had to consider how we shipped things if we shipped it across the rocky mountains uh, it was subject to a uh, uh, lower pressure and we had uh, cartons and bags pop open going through there so you know that that's the that's the list of kind of people that are involved I know some companies are saying, well, I don't have all those people. You know, I don't have all those resources. I wish I did. My comment to you is, no, you don't. (laughs) You don't wish you had all those people. You need to have those resources. You need to have those functions. But if those are combined into maybe four or five people, it really helps you be more flexible. In a larger company, we're, we're, we're talking about departments packaging engineering, you know, departments for QA. On a smaller operation, we're talking about four or five people sitting around. So they need to consider all these functions, but they're a lot more nimble because they make the decision right there at the table. Yeah. And they move forward.
0: So it's more schools of thought than it is actual individuals.
1: Absolutely. It's the function. The function needs to happen.
0: Okay. You know, I was uh visiting with a baker not too long ago who was telling me, uh, the, the, he was the CEO of the bakery and he was telling me how his director of operations was really good at doing his homework um, before he came to him with that request for the investment. And he he would have the conversations and then say, okay, here's the here's the scenario of what will happen if we do invest in this equipment. Here's what will happen if we don't. Um, And that seemed to make things run a lot more smoothly. And they also had someone who was more or less a centrifuge to keep all of those schools of thought at the table and focused on the same goal. So what are your thoughts on who does that centrifuge need to be to keep everybody aligned in what the goal is?
1: Please don't tell me who those people are because I'd probably go after them and and have them work with me. Um, (laughs) Those are the type of people we need, obviously. Um, nobody likes surprises, and the biggest thing I've seen through the 40-plus years of this that catches everybody is the surprises. You know, I forgot this. I forgot that piece. Mm-hmm. And, and if somebody, a CEO, has a person like that, you know, running the the interference for them, you know, it's crucial. Uh, there, It's a simple thing, Joni, like a, a project justification just to figure what the cost of the project is, and what the benefits are. And I've, had, I've gone out and worked with companies just to help engineers understand that process. It's amazing how many people don't get that. They, they come in with phony justifications. They come in with real soft numbers instead of solid numbers. And then the CEO has to do the evaluation himself or herself. So you know, to have somebody that's doing that is really important.
0: This episode is brought to you by Reading Bakery Systems, your trusted partner for innovative bakery and snack solutions. For RBS, innovation is in its DNA, and that's embodied in the Science and Innovation Center, where the RBS team partners with you to test and validate new and improved snack products and processes. The center includes all the process equipment needed for full-scale production conditions, And that's the best way to ensure innovative manufacturing. Successful snacks start at RBS. Learn more at ReddingBakery.com. Okay, I'm sitting here thinking about, and I was thinking about this this morning, you're talking about the the vanilla source from Madagascar that's only available every other year, only when the ships are sailing at night when the moon is waning. (laughs) So I was kind of thinking about that example and really curious to pick your brain on what you've seen as far as worst case scenarios in in those types of situations, but also the best case scenarios where all of the pieces of the puzzle just really came together for a smooth and successful product launch. So can you kind of share some of those stories?
1: Sure, when we were doing a project way back when we were buying uh, most of the macadamia nuts coming out of Hawaii that did not go into direct packaging into retail, uh, that was somewhat of a limiting factor if the crop was affected, uh, if shipping was affected, uh, you know that the macadamia nut had to be in there, and uh, that could be quite disruptive. Uh, when we were experiencing the uh, the sugar, issues years ago and we were trying to source some offshore sugar um, you know that was extremely difficult for us some things we've been able to substitute to change when we get that but when it gets more specific and these newer ingredients are more specific um, it becomes even more difficult to um to uh, have product available there when you need it one one project that I that really stands in my mind is when I was with the President of Baking Company. We developed Murray Sugar Free. Um, the questions are: Does it meet the claims of the product? Will it will it do what it says it will do? Uh, will it hurt anyone if they have a sugar issue? Uh, how do we make it taste good? How do we source the sugar alcohols that we need, and which ones will stand up in the oven? And that was a group project from the very beginning. Um, and that was uh, in the 90s, I think, sometime mid-90s. And that product is still out there, and I believe it's still leading the market in the uh, sugar-free arena. So wow. everybody everybody was uh, in, was uh, brought together to make that happen. It was a relatively smaller group, um, and, uh, and and we did it with some exotic ingredients, but we did it right, and it's still out there.
0: Wow. And you know, I was wondering with those really specialized and exotic ingredients that consumers seem to be demanding a little bit more of now, does it, I was wondering, does it have staying power? So you answered my question.
1: Yeah. And, it, and really when we were back then, we were trying to de- determine which of the sugar substitutes made sense. First of all, which ones were stable in the oven? That was an issue that we had to resolve quickly because Vendors made claims that really didn't hold up. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had, and then the other thing was the the, uh, the effect that the sugar alcohols have on the system. And did we need a claim on there to uh, to say that if you eat too many of those cookies, uh, you'll have to visit the bathroom. <laughs> and so I, I asked the R&D people, I said, well, what, according to the rules, how many cookies would they eat? to uh, meet that claim. And they said the whole package. I said, well, then leave, leave it off the package because they deserve to go to the bathroom. The whole
0: package. Listen, I gave up treats for Lent. And so um, Sunday afternoon, I was at risk of eating an entire package of cookies. <laughs> Some of us need that claim. <laughs> we,
1: we, we, we binge, don't we?
0: <laughs> we do. <laughs> so what about a worst case scenario? Do you have any cautionary
1: tales? It hasn't always worked, Joni. There have been certainly difficulties. We were, as a contract manufacturer, we were given a product that had uh, no flour in it. It was a bar product held together primarily with liquid sugars, and it was baked through the oven somewhat, but um, it was not something that anybody had done before. We were not part of the development process of the product, uh, a a major... uh, sales marketing company developed it Uh, it was right on it was the right thing to do but they had no idea how to make it so they handed it to us it was not the right application for the equipment it would have been better suited for other equipment however the pieces they needed we had all the pieces so they could have extruded the product better somewhere else but they would not have been able to bake it somewhere else they could have baked it somewhere else, but they would not have been able to package it somewhere else. So we had close to what it would take, and on paper it would work. But when we started to make this product, uh, it took forever to load the mixer because there were no bulk ingredients. We were making 3,000-pound batches, so we had to shovel everything in by hand. Uh, this thing, stuff was so thick, we had to scrape the dough out of the mixer with two people into the trough Wow. Uh, the depositor kept breaking chains. We finally had the equipment supplier come in and look at the uh, stress on the uh, uh, hopper on the depositor, and they just couldn't believe it uh, how much the stress was on that steel. So they had to beef that up. Uh, the product stuck to the band, uh, it stuck to the guillotine. Uh, extra cooling was needed after we started. Probably the roughest, but I might add, was the most successful startup that we've had on something. All in all, because as a contract manufacturer, that was the only product that was when I got there um, in 01. It was the only product that we were making in 01 that we were still making in uh, 2016. But there there are many other ones that have not gone that well. There are many other ones that, despite um, all the precautions, uh, we had a, a simple thing as as a packaging machine. At at Pepperidge, we have the famous gable top bag. Uh it was made by a piece of equipment uh, that cost a lot of money, and everyone wanted to try to um, mimic that with a much cheaper machine, a much more available machine. And we bought probably two or three different types of machines to try that, and they all uh, sat in the junk pile because none of them worked.
0: Wow. So that that story that you told about the bars, is that sort of the cross that a co-manufacturer has to bear? Are they often the ones, like, if a branded company is like, well, we can't figure out how to make this, so we're just going to pass it to you.
1: That has been the success of many, many contract manufacturers. Many sandwich cookies. I know someone decided that, that would be a great product they invented the equipment themselves to do that um, other products we did some where i was where we thought it would be a great idea we put a production line together to do it and then we actually sold that capacity but most of the time in those the uh, the innovation in bringing it into production comes a lot more quickly on a smaller scale operation um, we we do a lot if we do that by hand um that bar we were first talking about there was when we first did it there we did not have a way to get it from the wrapping machines to the cartoner. it was just a, we put them into tubs and then carried them over well we were making 800 bars a minute so that really wasn't going to work but it gave us the flexibility to to get a test on it we added conveyors very quickly and start to build up that line. But that line changed over the years to accommodate uh, automation and to get the price down. In fact, that was one where the price we started at with this uh, consumer went down probably 25% from when we started. Uh, the, after two years, we took the price down for them about 25% because we were able to uh, economize in so many areas. And, and our customers love it when you come with a price decrease.
0: You got that right. So, when developing a new product, we've talked a lot about all of these moving parts and all of these schools of thoughts and fundamentals that have to be considered. So, something's going to get missed. What's the one or two things that a baker really needs to be sure to remember? before firing up that line and, and taking a product into production? And then how far into the future do bakers need to be thinking when they're developing a new product?
1: The first thing and the most important thing is, is can I make it on the equipment that I have? Um, are are minor modifications needed? Are huge capital investments involved? If so, what is that capex and where do I go to get that? Um, with this bar product, there was really no alternative. We had to make the equipment we were using, we had to make it work. Um, So the project, I mean, it was one small piece of the process, but if that didn't work, nothing worked. So I'm thinking about production as R and D is showing me prototypes. Um, If they show me something that's specific, and this has happened, you know, someone will show them a piece of equipment and they'll design a product to meet that specific piece of equipment well if we don't have that equipment we can't make it like that you know there are simple products to make and there are very complicated products when we went through the uh, the soft cookie wars back when and we went through some filled products uh, there was a lot of specialized equipment that was out there Uh, most of that equipment is gone now because of the uh, inefficiencies of running it but i'm thinking about you know, as a CEO or as a project manager, I'm thinking about the nuances of putting that on the line as it's being developed. And I think that's most crucial. Uh, the other thing I'm thinking about regularly is resources. What resources do I have to make this happen? Do I need to get my equipment vendors involved? And do I need to get them involved now? Um, how do I partner with those vendors? How do I get them into the process early on so they, uh, they know what to expect, and they can also offer suggestions going forward. And I think those are the two biggest things, that, uh, knowing how to make it and knowing who it's going to take to make it.
0: Yeah, and you know, when, when we did our roundtable during EBA Connecting Experts, we did talk about that a little bit with Sean Moy at Reading Bakery Systems, how they can get involved with product innovation very early in the process at their technical center. So I think it is important for bakers to consider speaking with their equipment vendors, current or potential, very early in the process. Would you agree with that?
1: And stay involved with them. Absolutely talk with them, but stay involved with them. See what things they can do, Um, you know, because sometimes equipment may drive innovation. Um, I hate to think that it just always has to keep up with it. Uh, and they're looking to do that too. You know, Sean uh, and Redding and the other companies that are out there, uh, they're paying attention to trends. They're looking at what's going on and they're trying to figure out how to stay ahead also, just as we are with the products.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, on that note, how do bakers reconcile in their minds when they're looking at capital investments, the, the project and products that are yet to be conceived?
1: Joni, I'm real fortunate. Uh, back in uh, 1982, I bought a crystal ball, and it has worked so well for me over the years. that. Um, <laughs>
0: Did I just ask the impossible question? <laughs>
1: no, because it's what we live with. It, it's an excellent question, uh, a question that we all have always struggled with. Um it, it give you a couple of examples. Uh, I mentioned the bar that we made, and we stayed very flexible in the beginning. Uh, With contract manufacturers, that's often the case. Don't over-automate it in the beginning because then you lock yourself into something. Um, People are a lot more flexible at times than machines, but automation is a lot more preferred than people. So as you find out what the process is going to do, the biggest thing to me is deciding what you want to be what are you you know if if you're a cracker manufacturer you don't put in a cookie line that's that's pretty obvious mm-hmm. but if you're going to do chocolate cookies you need to be prepared to do chocolate and is it going to be you know a compound or real chocolate so knowing the direction of the company is certainly crucial towards those things i was involved with a project where we spent millions for a line that had no product committed to it. Um, everybody knew it was the right thing to do. They knew it was on trend. And it's like the old uh, baseball field, you know, you build it, they will come. But within six months, somebody did come. And, and it turned out to be a great product. But it's a gamble. It's a huge gamble. I know other companies that that have gone on even more substance and have gone out of business when that product did not uh, come through so it's it's difficult it's difficult to know how to put it out there but but knowing the direction and someone in the organization has to have that strategic objective know what know what they're going to do and then at times I've wondered what what they're thinking but it always turned out they were a lot smarter than I was so I just followed orders
0: (laughs) it seems like there is that fine line that you have to walk when trying to disrupt and innovate in this marketplace and how much risk you're willing to take and still be cautious in how much you invest to take that risk, right?
1: Absolutely, no question. I, I, way back when in 1981, I was an industrial engineer at Pepperidge Farm. And of course the IEs are all gone, but we were the quote efficiency experts. And one of the projects that I put on the profit improvement plan was to um, help the ladies and men that put the caps on the cookies on Milano's. So they they took the chocolate piece and by hand put it on the other piece. Um, many, many a day. It took 12 people to do that on the line. And then it took 12 people to put them in those fancy little cups that they went into. And the machine that placed the cups into the bags uh, was a million dollars. And the machine that made the bags was a million dollars. Now, this is back in the 80s. So we looked for a way to, you know, be able to put those 24 people somewhere else. Um, It was ripe for automation, but nothing existed for that. And I carried that project on my profit improvement plan for years and years and years. Finally, robots with vision became available And we were able to do that um, and not lose the handmade look. Uh, It would show the chocolate, but it also put little fingerprints on if we wanted it also to show that people had touched it. So, you know, the technology has got to be there. Um, It's got to be there on time and it's got to be available.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you know, that's actually a good segue to tease next week's topic because we are going to talk about how that technology and automation is making life easier for bakers, especially these these young bakers, but also it's creating this gap of the knowledge transfer. So next week we can talk about, even though we have technology and robotics to make the process easier. We'll be able to talk about the actual knowledge of the bakery process that can't be lost in order to keep these products moving forward.
1: One of my favorite subjects, Joni.
0: I cannot wait. All right, Dave. Well, those are all my questions for this week. And I thank you so much for your time and your insight once again. I look forward to discussing the knowledge transfer next week. If any of our listeners have any questions for you on our final episode, episode six, we're going to give you an opportunity to answer those listener questions. So if any of our listeners have questions for Dave, they can reach out to us at info at AvantFoodMedia.com. Dave, I will talk to you next week.
1: Until next week, Johnny.
0: Thank you for listening to the Troubleshooting Innovation Podcast. And a special thank you to our sponsor, Reading Bakery Systems. For more information on RBS and its industry-leading baked snack solutions, visit ReadingBakery.com.